Well, welcome, dear listeners, to this special bonus episode of the Into the Gloom podcast. I am here today with Janine Pipe. How are you doing, Janine? I am very well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me on. Of course, of course. You know, you're getting to live a nerd's dream. <laughs> you yes. <laughs> you not only got to write a nonfiction book focused on one of your favorite movies, but you got to interact with numerous professionals that were associated with the film's production. And so mm-hmm. before we get into anything else, can you just share a bit about the maybe you can say roller coaster of emotions that you've been experiencing through the last few months as you've put this nonfiction book together focused on one of your favorite films dog soldiers of course um i, I think the emotion that's been there the most is just excitement <laughs> i've just been so excited every single time that i spoke to someone nervous very very nervous because these people mean so much to me Um, But thankfully, every single celebrity that I spoke to was really reassuring and down to earth because they're they're media trained. They know how to put you at ease and that kind of thing. Um, But, yeah, there's been a lot of is this really happening? Pinch me. I hope I'm not going to wake up from a big fever dream any moment. Um, a lot of feeling very lucky in so far that it was kind of right place, right time with pictures and things like that. And also a lot of feeling actually really pleased with myself that I was kind of brave enough to reach out to these people and to say, I've got this idea, let's roll with it kind of thing. Because they, you know, it could have all come to a grinding halt right at the start if Neil had said, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Right. Okay. That that's that crossed off and uh, never attempted again. Then brilliant. But thankfully, everybody because the film is so well loved and because everybody involved with it with it was um just more than happy to talk about it and to relive those memories. And some of them haven't seen each other for years and years. So there was quite a lot of um sort of uh oh when you talk to Kev, ask him this, and oh when you talk to Sean, please send my love. You know, it was really. Um, Kev McKidd said the whole production was like a, a true bromance was what he called it, that they really were like a family and they would have died for each other by the end of it. And that still rang true when I was speaking to them. You know, they might not have contacted each other for 10 years because their paths had gone different ways, but they were still asking after one another and cheering each other on. And that was just so wonderful. That is really cool to hear. You know, yeah. I... I've never worked in Hollywood. I've never worked on a film, but I have done some acting and some plays in the past. And just the the familial bond that you can form with certain people, especially if one of the plays that I did, there were multiple parts. and, And so it was coming back to it year after year with a lot of the same actors, a lot of the same crew. And you do, you become like family. And it's interesting that it, it can depend on the production. It can depend on the people, whether you stay in touch, uh, whether it's phone calls, whether it's texts, you know, zoom calls or, or, or physical meetups throughout the years. But what I have noticed is that even with, people that maybe you lose touch with throughout the years, when you get back together, 
that bond is still there and it's almost like you can pick up where you left off. And so it's, it's awesome to hear that this, this group of individuals that got together for a fairly low budget film yep. so long ago and have many of these actors have gone on to be very successful in their craft. Yep. And so to, to hear that they still have that relationship and connection and bond formed is really cool. It was definitely. And um, if you kind of look at Neil's career as well, he used not only a, a lot of the same actors, especially Sean Perkway, like appeared in numerous films of his, but he's used a lot of the same crew as well. And he said exactly the same thing, that you build this family and there's a sense of trust as well, obviously, because you know how each other work. You you trust each other with, you know, if if, if Neil tells Sam McCurdy, the director of photography, what to do, he knows Sam already knows where he's going to be placed and all of that kind of thing. Um, but it, it just shows, uh, you know, sort of not only Neil's faith in his crew, but their faith in him as a director and a leader as well. And if he wasn't any good at it and if he wasn't a nice person along with it those people wouldn't keep coming back to him Sean Pertwee has no need to keep coming back to Neil's films you know he he made it big in Gotham he could do whatever he wants now but he chooses to go back and work with Neil and I think that just shows the friendship and the like we said the bond that those guys have had and it's it's just wonderful to have experienced it firsthand yeah for sure and you know there are there are those directors that tend to do similar things. You think of Christopher Nolan, you think yes. of, you know, Mike Flanagan, that they yep. are using a lot of the same crew, a lot of the same actors, but also with those particular directors, their films, their shows tend to always have very strong acting. Yes. And so it would make sense that, if you know you have these actors that come together and they trust each other and they trust the crew and they trust the director and the director trusts them you're just sort of you're creating this environment for just elevated creativity and everybody wanting to give their best because they truly care about the other people and how their role their job is going to affect them as well that's it, exactly. And even um, sort of when I spoke to the guys that did like the special effects and things like that, they said, you know, they were working 12, 14 hours on set sometimes because of the amount of work that there was to do. But nobody ever complained. Nobody was ever like looking at their watch thinking, oh, God, I need to get off now because they, you know, they saw the love and the passion and the enthusiasm that Neil had. And then that fed into the actors and the cast. And then that fed into the people like the special effects guys and the camera operators and all of that kind of thing. So everybody was just like, yeah, we want to make this the best we can. It was infectious. And once you've got something like that, then you, it's like gold dust. You know that you've got, you know, something that's going to last. And it did. Yeah. Yeah. Passion is contagious. I yeah. truly believe that. So moving on. I have a, a little confession to make. Actually, a, a few that will come out <laughs> in this interview. Um, the first one is that I had never seen Dog Soldiers until just a few weeks ago in preparation for this interview. So it's definitely fresh on my mind. And I am familiar with Neil Marshall because 
he directed the movie that gave me my first ever panic attack, uh, The Descent. <laughs> <laughs> and that all said, I just want to thank you, Janine, because it's only because you wrote this book and agreed to come on this podcast that I even saw the film. And it was so much fun. And I, I just want to ask you, was this one of your goals in writing this, hoping to introduce new people to the movie that you love so much? Yes, um, definitely. And especially when I found out how scarce it was to find in America. Mm-hmm. You know, so over here, it still sporadically plays on some of our TV channels and you can get the DVDs, even if it's on eBay or something like that. And we've got a brand new um, second site doing the 4K uh, restoration, which should be out uh, in the middle of July. But for you guys, it seemed to be so much harder to be able to find it. You know, back in when it was first distributed, of course, it was on the sci-fi channel. But it hasn't been around for ages and ages. Um, and I don't know where <laughs> some people have said that I managed to manifest it. I have nothing to do with it. It's all just a coincidence. But it's now on, is it Voodoo or something like that, that you can find it on over in the US now? And that more or less coincided with this book being released, which was just <laughs> just remarkable. But yes, I really hoped that the book would appeal to not only the diehard fans such as myself who already love it but it would pique the interest of a new generation of fans as well and it does seem to have done that definitely a lot of people have contacted me and said that they might not have picked up sausages yet but they've certainly watched the film because they've seen the amount of you know positivity generated about the movie at the moment and that's you know if 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 something i've done has created a new fan base for Neil then that's more than I could ever have wished for so yeah it's amazing (laughs) that's awesome yeah my experience as before we started recording this you know I mentioned that I tend to procrastinate and put things off to the last minute and so I knew that we were supposed to be having this interview and I kept assuming I was like you know the week before I'll, I'll 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 get on one of the streaming services or rent it do whatever to watch it And I decided a little, you know, a few weeks ahead of time, oh, I'm going to go ahead and look and get this squared away. And I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services. I couldn't even pay to rent it on Amazon Prime. And so I was kind of scrambling and freaking out a little bit because (laughs) as it was getting closer, I realized I've put myself in a bind. I might not have time to get on eBay and order a DVD and have it get here. But the week before I got back on just to sort of check, I think, I think I pulled up IMDb and you know, they have on their app, you can search a movie and it'll show you where it's streaming. And all of a sudden I saw that it was available on Amazon prime. And so Uh, I went and I looked and sure enough, it was there. And so I was able to rent it for, you know, a few bucks and, and watch it. But I was, like I said, I was freaking out and it wasn't there, (laughs) but it is, it's almost like you, you know, bring this book out, manifested it. And I mean, it sounds like you were in touch with a lot of 
people involved with this movie. So maybe some of the producers did some stuff on the back end to get it out there. Um, but I, I was, I was glad to be able to actually watch it, you know, uh, not a bootleg copy, a legit copy, watch it on my big screen, how I wanted to, and all of that. So it, it was an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, sometimes, and it happens a lot with people that have watched films over and over and over again, you're almost envious of people watching it for the first time just to know what their reaction is going to be to it. And uh, the vast majority of people that have kind of said to me, oh, I watched it because of you, you know, like 99.9% of people have been like, and it was just as amazing as I thought it was going to be. So I'm like, yes, I've been telling you, I've been telling you for 20 years to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So a second confession of mine I like reading one-star reviews and I found one for sausages, but it is literally one of the most generous one-star reviews I've ever read. Essentially, the complaint was that you came across as a bit of a fangirl and mm -hmm. I personally don't see that as an issue. I am a fanboy for a number of things in my life. And, you know, I'm I'm just sitting here and I'm like, is there not a place for people to write about the things that they love and to focus on all the positives without having to <laughs> even veer into negative territory? And you you actually um, just recently you made a post on Twitter talking about this thing that, you know, joking, you could not be an actual critic because you just like to talk about the, the positive things as opposed yep. to the negative things. And so what just expand on that a little bit for us. What are your thoughts on that topic and why did you choose to write the book from this very positive and affirming perspective? Um, when I first started um, within the horror community, um, a way in to kind of get to know people and to interact and for networking and all of that kind of thing was reviewing. So that was one of the first things that I did when I, 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 I knew I wanted to be a writer, um, a published writer, and I was dabbling in bits and pieces like that. But a way to start engaging and that kind of thing um, was through reviewing. And as soon as anybody finds out that you're a reviewer, you get bombarded, obviously, with requests. Can you review this? Can you review that? Um, which I did for quite a long time for various platforms and things. But even when it was people that I had no interaction with whatsoever, that perhaps a publisher had sent or even the platform had sent, I really didn't enjoy saying anything negative about it because I find that just because I don't like something doesn't mean that it's a it's badly written or that it's not a good story or anything like that it was just literally something that didn't gel with me um and I there are ways to write reviews and critiques and things that you can get across the fact that it wasn't for you it wasn't your cup of tea but you know it's still somebody else might enjoy it and that kind of thing but I was finding that more and more people that were reviewing, especially for like newspapers and things, they just get so personal as well. And it's almost like they start just ranting about this thing. 
And um, I don't know where that comes from, whether there's a, a jealousy involved or whether there's a case of, you know, that they need to make themselves feel bigger and better. But then uh, it just really frustrates me because especially coming from a creative background, if you put all that work into something, whether it's a book or a movie or something like that, that's your baby. You've put your lifeblood into it. And to see it being absolutely ripped apart by someone it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely horrible. Now, that's not to say that there isn't obviously a place for positive and negative reviews. And, you know, people can learn things from that. And you can sometimes if a review is written in, a, in, a, in the way of a critique rather than negative, then you can pick things up and think, oh, yeah, I could do that differently, that kind of thing. But so many of these things that I was um, looking at were just almost negative for the sake of being negative like that seemed to be the new thing to be able to you know like uh, how can I shit on this person the most you know it almost seemed to be a, a trend that you couldn't like something you had to find all the bad stuff and that's not me I do not like that you know if I don't like something I just won't talk about it because hundreds of other people might. And there are things, there are movies and things that are very, very popular that are just not my cup of tea. You won't see me tweeting all about it, though, because it's not fair on the creators and the creatives that were involved in that. And that's just the that's the way that I look at things. Um, I read my reviews wrongly or rightly, and some of them have made me cry. And that's not because somebody's like said, oh, this writing is bad because that's people's opinions and not everybody's going to like my stuff. That's for certain. But some of them are really, really like they go right into like you. They, they're picking you apart and that kind of stuff. And I know when we put ourselves in the public, you know, sort of sphere, then, then we open ourselves up to that kind of stuff. But this whole kind of like being an Internet troll and just doing all this horrible stuff, uh, the, there's no place for it for me. And as soon as I said to Neil and the people involved in Dog Soldiers that I wasn't interested in any of that, I wasn't looking for dirt. I didn't want to know anything like that. I don't think that was, to be honest. They just seemed to have a bloody good time on set, you know. Um, but I said, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a journalist, so I'm not looking into anything like that. I just want to celebrate this film. This is my favourite film. I've been, uh, for 20 years, I've been singing its praises. You know, every interview I do, I manage to find a way to segue in Dog Soldiers somehow. You know, if a friend says to me, I'm going on holiday, have a brilliant time. Make sure you watch Dog Soldiers before you go. <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of thing. And that really helped me because all of the celebrities involved, they're obviously on their guard with things like that because, you know, in this cancel culture as well, if a celebrity says one wrong thing, even if they don't mean it, it's just taken out of context and everything. So celebrities are always on guard anyway. But as soon as I said, look, I don't want to know anything negative. I don't care if there was any, you know, arguments behind the scenes. That's not what I'm here for. Tell me the fun stuff. Tell me about being squirted with ketchup. Tell me about Sean's sausages going off. That's what I want to know. Let's make this fun. Let's celebrate it. There's so much negativity in the world. We don't need any of that. Let's just make this a fun book for the fans. And that was what I wanted to do. And everybody involved with it loved that take on it because there is just so much, you know, out there with like, let's see, you know, like um, even like uh, uh, it's something which I really enjoyed, but like the cursed movies series on Shadow and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, I find those kind of things really interesting, but they are looking at all the bad things that happened on the film sets and all of the arguments that came out of it and people that died from it and all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted this just to be fun. The film is fun. The guys had a blast making it and I wanted that to reflect in the book and hopefully it came across like that. Yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) I agree with everything that you just said, you know, and as as an author myself and as a reviewer as well, uh, I, I just, I resonate with that. You know, recently I came across a concept that funnily enough, I'd never even thought of, but Sadie Hartman was talking about how she wanted to change the way that she did reviews and sort of get rid of the rating system, get rid of the stars and just talk about the content. And at first, when I heard that, I I sort of laughed and I was like, uh, you know, that what, why would anybody do that? But then I started seeing reviews come out like that. And I was, I was talking to an author friend of mine, Spencer Hamilton. And he said, he was like that, that convinced me. I want to go that route. I've encountered way too much drama with people because everybody sees the rating system differently. Three stars to somebody is great. Three stars to someone else feels like you are shitting all over their baby, you know, and and so it just takes away some of the drama and allows some of the ease and the honesty to come out in the review. And so I have in the past number of months, I've started doing that, too. And I have noticed that the review comes easier. I feel less um, in my head about hitting send, about hitting publish. And it's just been great. And I, I really appreciate it. And also, you know, I have tried to be more mindful even within my reviews in the wording that even if there was something that I didn't care for or didn't like too much to ask myself, is it necessary to include it? Because sometimes I, I think it might be necessary. And once again, I like reading one star reviews and I have found a number of books that include some of my favorite tropes based on the one star reviews that said, oh, this book has this and I hate it. And for me, I'm like, oh, well, I love it. I'm, 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 I'm going to jump all over that. And so just all around, I do. I like the mindset of we can talk about books, we can give reviews without feeling the need to trash any author or drag anybody down or only focus on the negatives. And it is possible to give a review for a book or a movie and not even touch on the things that led you to not give it five stars or 10 stars or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I, I feel similarly about the um, the star rating as well, um, for the very reason that you just said that it's so subjective. You know, I know people that they would only give a five star if it is literally the best thing in the world. You know, it's blown their mind away. And then other people give five stars because they like it or they just like the author kind of thing. And it, and then again, with the three stars, some people, because a three star means they enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, a three star is supposed to mean I liked this book. So some of us take a three star as like, oh yeah, that's great. They liked it. And other people, like say it's the end of the world if they get a three star review. So it's twofold and it's on both sides, like you say, like, so as an author, you know when you when you see a review that's just stating things that people liked but there's no overall rating it kind of makes you think 
oh, that's quite nice, really. And then as a reviewer, it takes that pressure off, that intense kind of like, it was almost getting to the point where you were fearful of, as you say, like sending a review because you just don't know what that person's going to react to it because I, I give it a three star because I liked it and three stars mean I like it. But if they're that person that thinks a three star is the worst thing in the world, then I've just ruined their day. And it's, it was just too much, <laughs> too much pressure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's hard enough to write a review um, without adding that extra pressure. And it's hard enough writing a book without having to constantly worry about all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, something I wanted to touch on about the fact that you were so open and honest with the 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 folks from dog soldiers that when you went into it you let them know i'm not coming with a smear campaign i only want to focus on the positive i'm not a journalist here i'm a fangirl i bet that led you to get better information because they would have felt more open that they can just sort of let it all hang out just put it all out there without having to worry about well i don't want to share this because how how might she twist it or how might she reflect it in the book so I bet you got a better book, better interviews because you let them know up front. I want to focus on the positive here and I'm a fangirl and that's how I'm going to write this book. Exactly. It was. I mean, a couple of the interviews that I did and these guys are busy guys. You know, Kevin McKidd um, was one of the hardest just to pin down for his interview because he is so busy. You know, if he's not filming Grey's then he's directing episodes of Grey's he is always on the go so I was so so pleased when we managed to pin him down for I, I thought I might get him for like half an hour we spoke for nearly an hour and a half and uh, uh, not all of that was about dog soldiers in the book we just got chatting again because we're so open and just like enthusiastic about and I wanted to know everything tell me everything I just want to know I'm so excited to, and then he was asking me questions about my writing and things like that. And it was just, you know, it would, once you uh, kind of, first of all, for me, once I get over the fact, oh my God, I'm talking to someone that's on my TV. Cause you know, I'm still dealing with <laughs> that kind of being starstruck yeah. with these people. <laughs> um, but they do very, very quickly kind of like, just let you know, I'm just a normal person. You know, I, I've got no airs and graces, just, just talk to me like I'm a normal person kind of thing. And then, you just find yourself just chatting, just chatting away. And it was just amazing. They were all so easy to talk to and so generous with their time and just lovely people. They really were. That's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's just, you mentioned it earlier, but we are living in a time, we are living in a world where there is so much negativity. And you're talking about how a lot of, the reviews that you might read in newspapers, they are so negative and so focused on that sort of stuff. And I imagine it's because the, the news cycle out there, especially any sort of mainstream news, they are constantly focusing on the negative and they are going to lead with that because that's what sells. That's what gets people coming and watching. And um, I, I know for many of us, it's just, I'm exhausted. Like I'm, I'm done with that. Like, come on, give me, give, give me some fun here. And when you're reading a, a book about a fictional movie that you love, like, come on, that's, yep. that's what I want. That's what I need. <laughs> 
I know, I know. But uh, believe me, there have been, well, you looked at some of the reviews, there have been people that have criticised that, you know, sort of like, I don't know, did they want me to find dirt? Did they want there to be fallings out? Did they want Neil to be some sort of dictator? I don't know what they were expecting, but they certainly didn't get any of that and they weren't very happy about it. (laughs) Sorry! (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's almost like maybe that is one of the... I mean, many negative aspects of reality television that we expect everything to be uber dramatic and uber stressful and uber toxic um, when that is not always the case, as as you have proved with this book and with all these interviews. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry if you were looking for, you know, all the dirt and whatnot. It's not there. So. Go yeah. and read a book about a serial killer or something if you want to. <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. there true, we are. true crime. It is a genre. <laughs> it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I'm, I'm jealous here, but you got to talk to Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. And yeah. if you want to see me fanboy, sit me down with either of them. Shaun of the Dead is my absolute favorite horror comedy film. I saw it in theaters and I've seen it way too many times since. It's one of those movies that I can't watch it with friends without them getting annoyed because I'm just constantly quoting it. Um, (laughs) But what, what were your specific interactions with them like? Uh, Yeah. uh, Again, um, they, they were both only via email. So even though I was still like sweating and, you know, like red face and excited, it didn't come off quite as much because I could calmly compose an email to them. (laughs) But um, yeah, just, you know, even just that small interaction, even just them replying to the email that we kind of sent out and said, you know, would you please have five minutes to respond to this, whatnot, was just, you know, amazing. and I remember the first time that email kind of came through, you know, from Simon Pegg, and I was like, <gasps> he's replied to my email, oh my God. And again, he was just so nice, just a really, really nice guy, you know, just because obviously um, there's the the sort of interview bit that I did with him, but then we had a few back and forth um, emails and, and whatnot as well, and just lovely, lovely person. And so is Edgar. I mean, he's massively busy. Mm. and um he kind of like they, they were very quick interactions but it was still interactions he still took that time to say you know i can't say too much i'm in the middle of promoting this i'm in the middle of doing that but you know here's something that you can use and um just and every single person there were a couple of people that we reached out to that couldn't commit to a comment or an interview just because they were literally on set and just couldn't spare any time but even they bothered to reply and said, but I love Neil and I love this movie. So I wish you the best with this book kind of thing. And that was, you know, again, just an amazing thing. Not one person turned around and said, I'm not doing that. Well, I don't like Neil and I don't want anything to do with it. There was nothing like that. Every person was just like, I wish you all the best of it. You know, when the book comes out, I'll grab a copy and that kind of thing. So it was just mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You've previously published your own collection of horror fiction short stories entitled Twisted and edited the provocative and blood-soaked women in horror anthology entitled Slash Her, which 
I read and gave a glowing review for and includes a number of my spooky friends. But I, I want to ask you, what are some of the differences and similarities between writing, publishing and editing fiction versus nonfiction? Again, with everything, it, it's very subjective. But personally, for me, I find writing nonfiction way easier than fiction. And the reason for that being, um, you're not constantly second guessing yourself because when you write fiction, it's always like, um, oh, I've suddenly got this massive plot hole. Now I've got to go and fix that. And this character would never have done that. That's so unbelievable. And all of that kind of stuff, you're constantly, you know, making sure that different things work. And uh, have I just written a story that's exactly the same as something I've read the other day? And just, you know, all of that kind of stuff that goes with fiction. Whereas writing sausages, was literally just I was writing about something that already existed so I found it very very easy and especially because I did it um, as would make sense chronologically so you know what we're speaking to the different people of the, the interviews and mainly of course with Neil of course we started off with a little bit about him and then about how the idea for the film formed and then how to get it into pre-production and then the actual movie and so on and so on and so on and it just flowed it was really easy to do and again because it was just something that was like yes I get to write about this today I'm so excited to tell everyone about this part kind of thing I was just I loved writing it you know I'd be sort of tapping away and like my husband would be like you know it's midnight you need to come to bed now oh my goodness I can't believe I've been sat here writing for that amount of time and it was just so I, I found it much easier um, because I wasn't thinking all of that, you know, all the time about, oh, should I write this? Should I not write that? Is that going to happen? Is that going to affect this later on in the story? It was just easier for me. Um, and as far as similarities kind of go, um, just insofar as um, making I, what I knew, because with Twisted, I self-published it. So I did everything myself. Um, although I did get somebody did um, format it for me because I, I can't do anything like that. I can barely use Word, let alone, you know, make a book look pretty. Um, but I knew that with this, it had to, I had to go for a press. I had to have a publisher to do all of the, you know, the bits to make it look as good as it does. And, you know, full kudos to Christian at um, Inside Apocalypse because he put so much work into it. He was cursing me, you know, whenever I'd be like, I've got another hundred photos for you to process and to make black and white and to print to the right size and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it just, it looks beautiful inside. And that's something which was so important as well, because with a storybook, you expect it just to be words. But with something like this, if it was just words, you'd be disappointed because you're wanting to see those behind the scene photos. You're wanting to see you know, the original shot list um, uh, pictures that Neil drew. You want to see inserts of the script and all that kind of stuff. So there was no way I could have done that myself. So uh, that would be sort of a, a similarity is just making sure that you've got someone that can pretty it for you, for want of a better word, to make it look professional. And that was definitely what the press did for me. But uh, And sort of going ahead in the future, I'd love to do more stuff like this because it is just something which I found just so easy to do. 
and that wasn't because you know like I uh, some sort of expert at this kind of thing it was just I enjoyed it so much I really did and sometimes with fiction especially if you're hit, trying to hit a deadline for fiction and you're forcing an idea to come because you has to fit for something that can really you know like sort of um that can affect your creativity and when you read back at something that you've been kind of forced to do because you've got a looming deadline it, it's not always your best work whereas with this as I said I was having to kind of like tell myself to stop because I needed to sleep <laughs> wow yeah that's that's awesome you know I I've had experiences like that with different creative endeavors and it is when you can get to that point where you are creating just for the joy of it and all the thoughts of what are people going to think? What sort of reviews are going to come out? How's it going to sell? Will people get this? All those questions sort of just fall by the wayside and you're just having fun. But the, the interesting thing on that is that typically when an author or a creator is having fun with what they are creating, that easily transfers over to the reader, to the watcher, to the consumer. And so it's really, it's a nice flow state to get into for sure. Definitely. Yeah. You know, sort of as with most of us, you know, even though my kind of like day job is also creative and writing, you you have to do all of that first. And, you know, I'm a mum and a wife and I've got a house to run and shopping to do and meals and all of that kind of stuff. So you kind of have once you've got all of that and you're already tired in the evening, if you were then writing something that you didn't have a passion for, Mm. it does become almost a chore. um, And you almost like, could get resentful with oh I need to write this now and I really don't want to but I've got to do this kind of thing and there was nothing with with this at all it was just a pure joy from the moment of the idea you know to submitting it over to the press and receiving the first proof and being like oh my god I actually did this (laughs) it's just been amazing that's awesome no it's it is your joy about it is contagious. It, it's it's just, you're glowing about it. Every time you talk about it, any video I've seen of you talking about it, and that is just, it's really cool to see. And I'm sure for others that are maybe thinking about taking on a project like this, it would be very encouraging. So yeah, yeah. Speaking of encouragement and excitement, just today, you made a tweet that caught my attention. And so, and just just for our, our listeners, I did run this by Janine ahead of time and, and let her know that I wanted to do this and she gave me the okay. So I'm not fully putting her on the spot here, but <laughs> I want to just read this tweet. Mm-hmm. You wrote, I want to work in production. There, I said it. Feature length movies, documentaries, short films, TV series. I want to write stuff. I want to direct. I want to block actors, marvel at special effects. I want to see sets come to life, perfect locations to be scouted. I need to make this happen. That's what you wrote. And for me personally, I am a big (laughs) believer in chasing dreams and laying out positive and actionable plans to achieve them. So Janine, 
What are your next steps from here? If there are any producers listening right now, just just sell yourself to them. Um, well as most of us as creators I've always got um, lots of ideas kind of just flying around so um, the one thing well there's several things which I would love to do I would love to be involved in a found footage movie Mm. they're something that I absolutely adore and uh, there are more and more of them coming through and I would love to you know be involved with something like that because it's one of for for me it's one of the creepiest subgenres as well because it it does seem so real and I'm one of these horror authors who you know give me all the blood give me all the gore the most extreme horror possible and I'm fine but give me anything to do with a ghost and I am behind a cushion or like absolutely refusing to watch it whatsoever so I'm actually a really big wuss as well when it comes to spooky stuff so therefore found footage things I actually find myself it's that love hate kind of thing because I'm like oh my goodness I don't want to look I need to look I don't I need to look kind of thing so I would love to be involved with making something like that and then the other thing I would love to be involved with is making a documentary about um, a particular um, either a particular movie because basically I'd love to do something like I did with sausages but in um, in television format you know make an actual documentary whether it's a, about a specific film or a subgenre I absolutely love um, Eli Roth's history of horror Mm-hmm. um on shudder it's one of my favorite things um just you know the the experts the talking heads that come in and and, and talk about different bits and pieces I, I almost sit there sometimes with like you know a notepad making um like jotting notes down about different things i find that it's entertaining it's educational it's interesting and again the people that they get on and don't just tend to be dry academics and that kind of thing they're again people that love this genre they're people that have got this passion whether they're actors or um, writers or directors they love horror and their love for it shines through when they're talking about those kind of things so I'd love to I'd love to direct something like that and I'd also love to be pick me as one of the talking heads (laughs) I'm no expert on anything but I'll certainly bring the enthusiasm to the screen so I'd love to do something like that as well all right well (laughs) Any any producers, directors, talent scouts, if you are listening, you've if you've listened this far, you've already heard us talk about the power of of passion and how it's contagious. So if you want passion on set, if you want the creative juices to really get flowing in the creative process, here's Janine Pipe. She is offering yeah. her services. Give her a call. <laughs> That's so, it. I, I I know that you've already made some dreams come true. You've got plenty of other dreams you want to come true. And so I don't want to take up more of your time. I want you to get back to actually working on making more of them come true. But before you leave, I just want you to let our listeners know where are the best places for them to connect with you, to contact you, and where can they find more about uh, your work and maybe even purchase some of it? So the the best place uh, to find me and to interact is Twitter. That's where I tend to uh, hang around. And uh, it's just simply JaninePipe28 on Twitter. Um, 
if you go to if you just type in Janine Pipe on Amazon, um, my um, author page comes up and that's got obviously Twisted Tainted Tales, my short story collection, sausages. And then um, there's about 20, if not more, anthologies that I've had stories in or um, editorial work with and all of that kind of stuff. So definitely just just type in my name on Amazon. Um, and that will throw up all sorts of stuff. And just be careful if you type in just sausages, because you might end up buying your dinner instead of buying my book. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, add add her name to that to that search, yeah. and definitely <laughs> check it out. It is not only uh, well put together, but it just it looks lovely. It's a nice um, coffee table accessory. It is. Yeah. The hardback especially is absolutely beautiful, but um, yeah, it is. And uh, uh, that's another thing as well, you know, sort of, I was surprised by how big it was. Uh, I don't know why, but in my mind, you know, cause you don't necessarily equate like the number of words that you've written to the number of pages that's going to be in a book. And I, I didn't even think to myself, you know, once all the extra photos and bits and pieces were in, but it's like 400 pages. It's certainly worth the money, I would say. It's a good, you know, a good investment. <laughs> All right. Well, you've sold it. You've sold it. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on here. And Janine Pipe, thank you for entering into the gloom with me. Thank you very much for having me.